One of the big stories over the weekend was North Harbour's decision to do away with their junior rep teams. North Harbour Rugby, this is. The catalyst, uh, as you would probably imagine, for the inevitable and totally expected wailing and gnashing of teeth from many people over the weekend. Uh, Dr Simon Walters is a senior lecturer at AUT, head of Department for Coaching, Health and Physical Education, specialising in sideline behaviour, athlete-centred coaching and children's sport. He joins us now. Simon, thanks for your time on Radio Sport. Good morning. Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Do you agree with what North Harbour Rugby have done? Yeah, I, I, I do agree. The, um, the, there's been conversations for some time um, based on the research, that some of the research we've done here in New Zealand and international research about dealing with some of the issues these sports organisations have done. But I, I do appreciate that the strength of feeling about it because it's uh, a traditional, historic tournament that's been around for a long time. A lot of the parents have played in it themselves. So I, I think there was, there was a backlash expected, but... Um, Possibly not to the extent that I, I sort of witnessed on the weekend. But I, I think the conversation settling down and being a bit more balanced now, uh, what I heard on your station this morning and a little bit yesterday, that uh, people are starting to talk a little bit about the reasons for the decision. Yeah. OK, I want to, I want to put to you a few of the arguments uh, of those who disagree and just get your reaction to them. The f- and you would have heard these, I'm sure. Uh, the first of them is that this will hurt the development of the best young players in the region. Yeah, I think the research strongly uh, would, would disagree with that. We, what, what we find is that the, the earlier you specialise or you have representative teams selected, you're basically selecting those kids who are strongest, fastest, and they're the early maturers at that point in time. So the earlier you do it, you're, you're really selecting kids who are stronger than their mates. So if you think about these 11, 12-year-olds, you know, there's a huge difference between somebody who's born in January and somebody's born in December. So I think what, what we're doing, with we're selecting talent too early and we're actually closing the door on a lot of potential. And then the other thing with reps is that you, you're really focused on the competition and you're trying to win that game. So you, you tend to specialise kids in positions as well. So not only are we sort of closing the door on potential for some kids who are late developers, but we're basically getting the kid who is stronger, faster, to play in certain positions, to specialise them in that position too early. So from a developmental perspective, long-term athlete development, developing the skills that they need to stay with the, with the game long-term, be that rugby or any, any other team sport, um, the, the research would strongly disagree with that position. One uh, phrase I'm sure you've heard a number of times over the weekend and in the last couple of days, uh, Simon, is this is PC gone mad. It's uh, PC gone mad. What do you say to that? <laughs> Oh, that, that, that'll be one of the nicer comments I've seen. But um, it, I always sort of struggle with that PC attitude because it's almost like a catch-all, a cliche, that people go, you know, it's PC gone mad. Well, let, let's talk about specifically what is the issue that they're concerned about, and let's drill into that and talk about that because you just label something PC and then you walk away from the argument. It's, it's not about participation versus competition. It, it's about sort of... Um, participation yes but kids like competition I, I've done a lot of work interviewing kids and the work we've done in New Zealand supports the research done worldwide kids like competition yes they do but what they don't like is that win at all costs uh, attitude when usually adults coaches or parents lose sight and can't put it into perspective and, and kids don't like that so um, 
yeah, we like competition, and I love sport. I'm involved in sport. Basically, the research we do here is trying to enhance the experiences of all kids playing sport, but ultimately to um, to develop uh, a long-term sort of high-performance athletes as well. So, yeah, I, I don't agree with that, PC. Um, I just think it's a dismissal. It's a lazy argument. Why can't adults put kids' sport into perspective? Why do they display these behaviours so frequently? Yeah, we, we started in New Zealand looking at sideline behaviour, some of the research I did about 10 years ago, funded by Sport New Zealand. And we, we had a couple of projects which were aimed at um, improving sideline behaviour, educating coaches and educating parents. But what we kind of realised, and, and the Good Sports Project, which uh, was piloted in Auckland, funded by Sport New Zealand and run by Active Auckland over the last three years, what was really an attempt to, to take a deeper look at some of these issues it's all well and good to educate coaches about how to behave appropriately, but if the structures put in place by organisations are hyper-competitive, they focus on representative stuff, you really can't blame the coaches for behaving in over-competitive ways. And the same for parents, you know, sports organisations, running programmes on sideline behaviour, asking parents to, to behave appropriately, think developmentally, but the same organisations then put in hyper-competitive structures in place and being concerned about the behaviour. So what, what Good Sports did, and we fed into that sort of feeding research into, into what they did, they went around and had conversations with organisations, was it's not, it's not only about talking to parents and coaches. Your organisations have got to come on board and you've got to put the structures in place which will allow those behaviours you want to see to emerge. And I, and I really um, uh, commend North Harbour because they're, they're not the first one to do it. But because rugby is such a, such a special place, it's significant in New Zealand historically and culturally, it's by them doing it, they've really sort of stood up and been the first really significant player to make a stance. So, yeah, I, I totally commend them on what they're doing. The, the, the structures really drive the behaviours that we see, um, and I think that's a fundamental problem we haven't addressed until now. Are there other sports here in New Zealand or, or further afield, Simon, who are doing it well, in your view, who are moving in the right direction? Yeah, there, there was um, something released in the media recently about NRL uh, over in Australia, that they're doing the same thing with their reps, uh, increasing the age, focusing on development. Um, there, there's a lot of sport. Netball did it, mainland netball did it. A couple of uh, years ago, there was a bit of a backlash there, but not, not to the extent we're seeing now with rugby. The, probably the most innovative approach that's happening at the moment is some research being done in the UK with the Premier League clubs. So there's four Premier League clubs. Uh, there's a guy called Sean Cumming. Uh, he was over in New Zealand last year talking about this, where they, they basically have acknowledged this, this problem with identifying talent too early, and we're focusing on the early maturers. So they've got a Premier League sort of um, growth study where I don't know if you've heard of this bio-banding, but they basically band players together based on their skill level and also on their level of maturity. So you'll have 11, 12, 13, and 14-year-olds playing in the same competition together, and you've got an early mature mature 11-year-old playing with a late mature 14-year-old. Their skill levels are similar, but and physically they're similar because of the early maturity, late maturity, and what they're finding, it, it's been really successful because the, the early mature up to that point has, 
has really dominated the games he's playing in football. You know, even in football, we, we, we tend to think of it as a, a non-physical sport, but, you know, there's a physical aspect to it. And, and the early maturer dominates due to his physical skills, his strength, speed, and, and height. And, and when they start dominating like that, they, they, they become lazy and stop developing the all-round skills they need when they're older. Conversely, the late maturer, the 14-year-old, has always been dominated. He doesn't get a chance to spend time on the ball and develop. So, so that's where the latest research is taking us. Where, where that leads us is moving away from age-dependent structures where you've got your 11th grade, your 12th grade, your 13th grade, and you're lumping them all together. And at that age, there's a huge discrepancy between how far they've developed. I'm thinking really innovatively about how we can actually develop the skill, long, skill longer term. Now, to my knowledge, nobody's tried that here yet, but uh, I think it's crying out for an organisation to, to actually experiment with that and, and have a go with that and try something totally radical and, dif and different. And I, and I think sort of um, raising the age of the rep teams is a first step in that direction. Simon, is there any body of research anywhere in the world or even closer to home that suggests that success as a child in sport leads to success as an adult in sport? Yeah, well, there's this, you know, I, I heard somebody on the radio this morning talking about, you know, uh, some martial arts 13-year-old was, you know, training so many hours a day. And, and they cited sort of Serena Williams and Andre Agassi, which was, uh, Agassi, if you've read his book, is not the best example. So there's this notion that 10,000 hours of practice is what is required to become an elite performer. And that, that research has been misinterpreted uh, for many years by people involved with sport. Because, because what they're actually saying is 10,000 hours a year, you need to practice a lot, but a lot of it is in the playground, the backyard games we used to play as kids. So when I was a kid, we used to play rugby, football, uh, lunch hour, break times at school, uh, cricket, tennis in the summer. And then we had our regulated sport as well. All of that accumulates to many, many hours of practice, but you're doing it in a playful environment and, and you're developing the skills. You know, you talk about Brazil and these kids develop, developing the skills of street football, playing on the beach, et cetera, et cetera. That, that all adds up to those 10,000 hours of practice. What, what we've got is that sports organizations and parents buying into this notion that you need to go to regulated training sessions in a specific sport and get 10,000 hours of practice that way. And, and what the research definitely shows is that, yes, some, some people come through and they make it, but what, what happens is thousands upon thousands of kids basically have a lost childhood to that sport and either get injured, overuse injuries, or burned out, which is the most likely outcome for your kid if you're pushing them down that path. So it's, um, it, it's a proven pathway to elite performance, but it, it also has significant costs. Uh, other research that's been done internationally, and we started looking at it here in New Zealand, is that this alternative model where kids at primary school age especially play a lot of backyard games, they play outside engaging free play. That's a problem at the moment because kids increasingly are not doing that. And they, they dabble and sample a range of sports, and they, they decide when they're ready which sport they want to pursue. And I heard Steve Lancaster on from the NZIU this morning talking about, you know, maybe 15 or 16 is the right age, for rugby, where when the kid has played a lot of rugby, but played a lot of other sports as well, and they're making the decision for themselves, yeah, I want to give rugby a go now, it's for me. But, but certainly not at 10, 11, 12, 12 years of age. What, what, what you're more likely to get is overuse injuries, uh, burnout, and, and definitely 
dropout, if you look at the dropout rates here, uh, compared with, with the worldwide stats as well, uh, there's a real problem. And sports organisations are realising this, that they've got to do something different to, to try and retain players uh, long-term in the game. Very interesting stuff, uh, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and wrapping some context around this for us. I really do appreciate your time. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks very much. Cheers.